You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. It's so good to be back. Amen. In God's presence. Amen. Together with you. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Thank God for everything that's happening here tonight. Why don't you turn to somebody and tell them I'm glad that you're here in the house. Amen. Of the Lord. I'm glad you're here. Amen. In the house of the Lord. Praise God. Amen. We had a tremendous, tremendous weekend. What a tremendous uh, uh, crowd last Sunday. Just a tremendous time of the Holy Ghost. And I believe in God for great harvest as we walk towards the day of Pentecost. Amen. How many believe in with me? Amen. For an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Pentecost Sunday is coming up in a few weeks. We've got some exciting things lined out here between now and then. And so uh, uh, praise God for that. But I'm glad to be here at midweek, Wednesday night here. And uh, we need to uh, um, breathe some life, I guess you would say, back into midweek and Wednesday night. I know we've come through the pandemic and and we have not. We've recovered in so many ways. Is this all right? Did I just talk as pastor? We've recovered in so many ways. And I know I'm talking to the choir, so to speak, tonight because you're here. But uh, we've recovered in so many ways from the pandemic. But one thing we have not seen is, is the percentage of our Sunday attendance that attends on midweek. And I know we've gotten busy. I know there's a lot of things going on. But in all of that, let's not forget, amen, the necessity of the priority of God and His Word in our life. And so... Um, it probably doesn't help that I'm in week 22 of my series that's been going for over a year. I do understand that. Uh, so we're going to aggressively try to get through as much as we can the remainder of the text tonight. Uh, and then next week will be, uh, Lord willing, a summary of our origin series along with uh, a time for open questions. So if in these last 20 plus sessions you've had any questions or thought, Pastor didn't cover that, I'm going to give you a chance to ask those questions. We'll have open questions. That'll be next week. Uh, so ask anything Genesis 1 through 11. So it's not ask anything, but it's ask anything from Genesis 1 through 11. And uh, of course, all kinds of people will show up, amen, when they know we're having open mic uh, questions. Uh, so, but that's going to be great. Have you loved the Word of God? Have you enjoyed this, walking through the Word of God? And uh, we're going to get right into it uh, tonight. So let's go to Genesis chapter number 9, and we're going to go to begin at verse number 28, where we left off last week. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 28. So allow me to skip all introductions, all uh, recaps of where we've come in the last, uh, last part. If you missed last week, make sure you go back and catch last week because it was some illuminating stuff that the Lord gave to me that I shared as well with you. And so I'd like for you to be a part of, of that if you can. But we're going to jump right into here. By the way... Um, 
They should be setting up for us tonight some books. We have a collection of commentaries from a good friend of mine. They're layman's commentaries. They're not an academic collection, but they're very accessible. They go verse by verse. Uh, and the first three volumes are together, and we've had them for sale for $20. But I want you to have them. So if you don't have $20, but you want to know, you'll use them, and you'll read and study. Uh, I'll give it to you uh, on, on, on whatever you can give us or whatever. The Lord will bless you if you just want to take it by faith. So we're going to have those sitting out there on the welcome desk, and I want everyone that wants to have one to pick one of those up. It's a great little thing. Uh, to walk through. Genesis chapter number nine. We've just come out of the flood. We've just come out of um, uh, going through what happened after the flood. And last week, we only covered eight verses. We covered from Genesis 9.20 to Genesis 9.27. And it was some of the most, uh, let's say, uh, I wouldn't say contested, but some of the most uh, disagreed over passages of interpretation. So we sort of navigated through that. And so tonight we're going to walk through some things really fast. Genesis 9 and 28, if you will, read for me. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Okay, so we come out in the end of, of chapter 9, and this is the conclusion. This is summarizing, and it's letting us know that Noah lived 300 and 50 more years after the flood, 950 years total. Everybody say, that's a long time. That's a long time. Now, I don't have my chart. I could not find it that overlapped the uh, timelines that are given to us here in Genesis. But one of the significant things to note here is that when Noah dies... If you go back and you add up all the math of what is given to us in these genealogies according to how it's presented in this passage, that when Noah dies two years later or within the span of two years after Noah, who, who dies, who came through the flood, who built the ark, two years after Noah dies, a very prominent, significant person in the Bible is born. Does anybody know who that is? Does anybody want to take a guess who that is to sort of put this in perspective? Two years after Noah dies, did I hear somebody say something? Abraham. Abraham. Thank you. Our evangelist Kendall Weeks got that right. Amen. Abraham is born two years after Noah dies. Now, the Bible never says that Noah uh, or that Abraham spoke with Shem and all of the others, uh, the descendants, but to put in perspective how the world appeared at that time, that's pretty interesting, that Abraham is born about two years after Noah dies. So it is not a stretch to say that when God showed up and spoke to Abraham and Terah, his father, uh, that they would not have had first-hand account or second-hand account information on some pretty significant things that take place. And the oral traditions that are passed down would have been quite incredible. So that's just an interesting thing to sort of hold on what's taking place here. Now, 
we're going to go into verse 10, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, if you will. Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were born were sons born after the flood. Okay, so now after the flood, we've closed that, and now it's starting a new segment here. Six times in, in Genesis 1 through 11, six times you're going to see the phrase, these are the generations. Now these are the generations. And that phrase begins a new telling of something. We've seen these six times here. We saw it in Genesis 2-1, in 5-1, in chapter 6-9. We'll see it here in 10-1, in 10-32, and again, finally, in chapter 11 and verse 10. So six times we see this, so it's a new telling, and now it's focusing on telling what happens to uh, uh, all humanity, if you will. And so this is a significant thing. It's a beginning of something, and we're getting ready to see here what is called uh, by the Israelites the table of nations. And so this is so significant. Chapter 10 is very significant. Chapter 10 is just going through a lot of the stories of the begats, of Noah's sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and it's giving us their sons and where they lived. It's giving us a little bit of details about other things that are pertinent to the story in the Tower of Babel, such as Nimrod and Peleg. It highlights a few other uh, interesting characters here, but um, by and large, it's just genealogies. And when we're reading it as modern people, we skip through and we're not understanding what's happening here. But no other ancient Near East culture ever made an attempt to tell the origin of all the cultures of the world. And that is exactly what is happening here in chapter 10. And so for us, it's lost its meaning. But for the Hebrews, they are going to understand this more than we could even comprehend because not only do they know all the names as the founders of all the people, of all the history of the world, but as they are hearing this, as this is being given, they literally in their mind, the map of the world, they can place all of these things and there's significance of encounters and what's going to happen, what has happened and what is going to happen in the future. And I'll try to highlight some of those, but this is a monumental chapter of which I will not be able to exhaust tonight, and we're going to fly through. Now notice this at the end of verse 1. It says, and unto them, talking about Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons, unto them were sons born after the flood. Now that's significant because it's implying that there were not sons born to them before the flood, and there were not children born to them during the flood, but it was after the flood. Later on, we're told that Shem has our facts at about two years after the flood. And then he lives some 400 or 500, some, something like that years. We'll, we'll cover it here. But these sons were born after. Now, we see here an order. Noah, if you have 10-1, we see the order here, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the order that's always given. However, the order is not in chronological order. We do not understand why this is. There's been conjecture. Of course, this history is coming to the Hebrews, who are the children of Israel, and it's the telling of the world's history and their significance, their part. And so maybe that's why Shem is put first, because Shem is the father that would ultimately be the line of the Hebrews, and ultimately the lineage of Messiah would come from that 
the lineage of Shem. And so from their perspective, maybe from their perspective, they're identifying Shem first. Ham is the father of most of the Israelites' enemies. He's the founder of most of the Israelites' enemies. So they are very well acquainted with the uh, sons of Ham and all of their lineages. They know them very well. And so maybe that's the second most popular, and that's why that put there. And then Japheth is the father of the Gentiles that are in the isles, uh, uh, sometimes referred to as the sea people, that would be more the Greeks and up into uh, northeastern Asia Minor. And those, these are going to be the least known people of the Israelites, so maybe that's why they're put uh, last here. However, when he goes into the genealogies in verse 2, go to ten, chapter 10 and verse 2, and what is the first phrase in chapter 10, verse 2? The sons of Japheth. So he starts with Japheth, and later on in chapter 10 and verse 21, we are going to be told that Japheth is the older brother of Shem. So in chapter 10, 21, it's telling us that Japheth is the older brother of Shem, but it never actually tells us whether or not he's the older brother of Ham or whether Ham's the oldest. But we assume now in the actual telling of genealogies, it begins with Japheth. It is safe to think that Japheth is actually probably the eldest, and then Ham, and then Shem, Shem perhaps is the youngest. He's the last one that's given in chapter number 10. But that's neither here nor there. Let's go quickly. And Japheth and the sons of Japheth read, Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshech and Tyrus. Okay, stop. So Gomer is, is believed to be the ancestor of the Germans. Uh, Magog, uh, Meshech is actually believed, some believe that it could be uh, from where the term Moscow is derived. Uh, Javan, uh, Ion, or we would later know them as the Greeks would be the father and the founder of that. Go on and read in verse 3. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephath, and Togarmah. Yes. And the sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. Yes, verse 5. But these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. Okay, so verse 5 is significant. By these were the isles of the Gentiles. Uh, Robert Alter translate that as the, the sea people, the people of the seas, which would have been the northern Mediterraneans, and that's how they would have known them, uh, <coughs> never having been inland northern Europe. Uh, but by these... These people, the sons of Japheth, were the sea people or the isles of the Gentiles divided. And it gives us something significant. It says, divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, and in their nations. Now, it's already highlighting that there's a division of tongues, but yet we haven't gotten to that story. Chapter 11 is going to be the Tower of Babel, the confounding of languages. And chapter 11 tells us that everyone was of there was a time where everybody was of one speech and one language, uh, one speech, one dialect. But here, the timeline is sort of going forward. And then in chapter 11, it's going to come back to that place and explain how it comes. But they were divided by tongues by, after their families in their nations. And one thing I want to highlight here is that you see is that when God divided the people, he kept the families together. <coughs> When God sent down the division of language at Babel, God kept the families 
together. And in that, he also established the nations. The idea of there being different nations in the world is God's idea, not man's. So, we don't just say, well, I'm better than you. We are something different than you, but I'm not better than you. Or you're not better than me. What makes anyone better, or no one's better than the other, but what makes your life or your culture or your nation better is when you are living in obedience to God and under the blessing of the Lord in your life. But nations was God's idea, not man's. And actually, in Isaiah chapter 14, we see Lucifer as the one who has come to weaken the nations. So God is not out to destroy nations. There's nothing wrong with there being difference of nations, different people living different places, living different ways, as long as we're not living in defiance to the Lord. That is what he's saying here. Go on and read in verse 6. And the sons of Ham, yes. Cush, and Mizraim, yes. and Phut, Put, Put, yes. and Canaan, yes. And the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Sapta, and Ramah, mm-hmm. and Septeca, mm-hmm. and the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan, and okay. Cush, and Cush beget Nimrod. Okay, now highlight here, Nimrod is not in the original story. If you count, if you count all of the figures in chapter 10, there's 70 people that make up the table of nations. That is significant in, uh, among the Hebrews. We won't get into that here. But Nimrod is an extra. He's an extra. He's not uh, uh, in this lineage, but he's just an extra son, and he's highlighting this here, his significant, not being a firstborn. But read what it says about Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. Now, he's count, uh, there's a counter, uh, <coughs> uh, uh, a contrast here because it's given after Noah gets off the ark, Noah began to be a husbandman, and that's an occupation that's established. And so now in contrast to what Noah does after he gets off the ark, Nimrod began to be a mighty one person of influence, a tyrant, whatever. What was the thing that Nimrod began to do? What was the occupation? Read verse 9. He was a mighty hunter. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Yes. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Okay, now, so if we read this, we're thinking, oh, he's a mighty hunter before the Lord. Praise God. No, Nimrod's name means rebel or rebellion. So we lose that when we're reading this here from our English understanding. But what this is saying is that Nimrod rises up. And in contrast to what Noah is doing, even though after they come off of the ark, now for them to eat, we could presume that probably beforehand they are vegetarians. But now when they get off the ark, God permits them to eat meat. However, remember the prohibition, you can't eat it with the blood in it. And you have to make sure that the blood is out of the eat the meat before you eat the meat. That was significant. There had to be value of life. And, and this is now a hard thing because for man to survive, he can't just eat plants. He also now, in this new ecosystem, this new world, he has to eat meat to sustain himself. And just his provision is bringing about a mess. It's bringing about death. This is, this is painful. 
It's not a beautiful thing. It's not an incredible thing. You go to an apple tree and you pick an apple and there's no pain. You go to a tomato plant and you take a tomato from the vine and it's a wonderful thing. But now to eat meat, there has to be bloodshed. And so that you understand the price that is paid every time you are eating, uh, uh, you have to have regard, but you are not allowed to eat of the blood. The blood has to be totally drained, totally clean. Now this would have significance later on in Leviticus where it says, you're prohibited because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And when they would go into the promised land, what was the tradition of the Canaanites? But that they would not only eat the meat with the blood, that they would drink the blood and believe that that animal somehow would uh, impart some kind of power or its strength upon them. And, and, and God is actually forbidding this. And so Noah, even though they now can eat of the meat, Noah begins to try to come up with the occupation of a husbandman, but Nimrod rises up. I'm going to be a mighty hunter. He's a tyrant. He's in rebellion against God. And this rebellion is quite uh, uh, complete. It, it's, it's drastic. And we'll see this. Read verse 10 and 11. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Okay, and Babel. E and Eric Yurk. and Akkad. Yes. And Kalneh in the land of Shinar. Okay, so he's establishing. It. Here, here we see the first, the first mention of the word kingdom. And in, 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 in order to have a kingdom, you've got to have a king. Who's set up as king? It's Nimrod himself. He's the one that set himself up. He's established Babel, which is, is going to be the foundation of the Babylonian kingdom. Read verse 11. Out of that land went forth Asher. Asher is from where the Assyrians come from. And builded Nineveh. And builds Nineveh. And the city Rehoboth. Rehoboth. And Kalah. Okay, so now we see that Nimrod established Babylon and Nim the, the foundations that would be Babylon, and he also established the Assyrians. Now, why is this significant to the Hebrews? Because later on, the kingdom of Israel is going to be divided. The land of Israel, the nation of Israel is going to be divided. And the north is going to be carried away captive unto Assyria, and the south, Judah, is going to be carried captive unto Babel. And Babylon has always been an archetype for absolute rebellion against God. We see that all the way through Scripture, even into the book of Revelation. And so this is why Nimrod, who's not in the firstborn lineage, is added in here because in chapter 11, there's going to be a story about the Tower of Babel, and it's assumed here it's implied that Nimrod is the one that is founding this. He's the one that's starting this rebellion, which is so significant. Go on and read quick, quickly. And Rezin, yes, between Nineveh and Kala, yes. the same is a great city. Yes. And Mizraim begat Ludim, and yes. Anamim, and Laabim, and Nephtuhim, mm -hmm. and Pathrusim, mm -hmm. and Kalusim, out of whom came Philistim. Okay, so in verse 13, we have Mizraim, which is uh, uh, what the Hebrews still call Egypt today. It's a place where they would go down, survive the famine. But then later on, uh, in the beginning, we see Abraham goes and Sarah is taken to the house of Pharaoh. It's not a palace yet, but something happens in that in those years that they are away, God takes his lineage back and this empire is raised up. And then also in verse 14, we see the father of the Philistine nation is also implied here. There's so much more in the name, but I don't have time to go into these. Read on. And Canaan begat Sidon, his yes. firstborn, and Heth. And Heth, why significant about Heth? Because Heth is where 
uh, Abraham purchases a, a cave to bury his wife Sarah in. The Hethites are the one that Abraham purchases a cave to bury Sarah in. Of course, all that's taken place by the time they're hearing this. So that's significant. Go on, verse 16. And the Jebusites, the Jebusites are the, the ones who founded the city of Jerusalem, which David would come in. That was significant. Read on. And the Amorite. Yes. And the Gergesite. Yes. And the Hivite. Yes. And the Archite. And yes. the Sinite. Yes. And the Artavite. And mm -hmm. the Zimmerite. And the Hamathite. Mm -hmm. And afterward were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. So now we're talking about Canaan and they're spread abroad. And you're going to see some of these names uh, uh, come back up and have great significance. Read on. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as yes. thou comest to Gerar, yes. unto Gaza, yes. as thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah, mm -hmm. and Adma and Zeboim, even unto Lasha. Okay, so there's a lot of significance here because why is he giving the border of the Canaanites? Because later on he's going to give Abraham a land of promise. And he's going to send him to this area where Abraham's going to begin to purchase property. And then later on, when God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt, he's using Israel as his agent to, uh, uh, of, of judgment against the Canaanites who are involved in gross wickedness against God. And so that's significant. That's, that's setting the context here. Read verse 20. These are the sons of Ham. Yes. After their families. Yes. After their tongues. Yes. In their countries and in their nations. All right. So just to re recap or, or, or to, to, to rewind, to circle back and to revisit, there's no, there's no proof uh, that some people have used this to say all the Hamites were cursed, that Ham means black. There's no proof that literarily that we can come up with. And actually, you're going to see a lot of people in the Old Testament saved out of these people that are saved and spared. So God's curse was not absolute upon them. Noah puts a curse. We talked about that on Canaan because it reflected to him. But what he's saying is as long as you follow in disobedience and rebellion against God, these things are going to come upon you. And he does say to them, he said, you are going to be a servant, that you're going to be less than. And the way to not be a servant is to obey God and to walk in the ways of God. And there's a contrast that's put in there. But God never designed for all of the lineage of Ahim to be suppressed without salvation. He always made a way for there to be salvation. And I'll reiterate that later on so that no one can walk out of this text and say, aha, these people were a cursed people. No, that's not what happened. Noah put a curse on them because of the sin that was committed, the defiance that was committed. And that sin is continued. We see in Nimrod. Nimrod's rebellion was against God. Nimrod was not forced to rebel against God, but he did that on their own. And we, this is what the text is, uh, is showing us here, that it's because of wickedness that these things would come upon them, not because just who they were. Amen. doesn't matter what situation you are born in. God can save you. God loves you. God can redeem you. God can heal you. Somebody say, praise God. Praise God. I'm a testimony of that. I should not be standing here today. But several years back, Almost uh, uh, in three more years, it'll be a hundred years ago, when my grandfather stumbled into a Pentecostal church and the power of the Holy Ghost got a hold of him and began the process 
that would take a few more decades to pull them out of the gutters and to pull them out of all the muck and mire that sin had wrapped around their soul. And I am a product today of the blessing of God that can come upon a beaten down, sinful, wicked generation. And so God doesn't, uh, God doesn't see to hate anyone based on who they are. What happens, the things that come up on their life, is because of how they act, what they did in their life. And this is what the text is explaining. Let's go on real quickly. Under, under Shem also. Okay, so, so now second we've got Shem. Yes? The father of all the children of Eber, okay. the brother of Japheth the yes. elder. There it is. The brother of Japheth the elder. Yes? Even to him were children born. Even to him were children born. Now, this is the lineage of the Israelites. And so this is significant. Now in the story, it's come to their lineage. Aha, this is where we come from. This is our story. This is our heritage, if you will. What's significance about this? Well, when we go back and Noah pronounced uh, uh, the curse and blessing, he pronounced a blessing upon Shem. And he says, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. What was the significance of that? Well, Shem was one who was righteous before the Lord. Shem was the one that was following in his father's footstep. There was a desire for the things of God. And so that is told to us in that blessing there. So now Shem's lineage is trying to follow after the Lord. Of course, nobody's perfect. But who's the first person that Shem's son is mentioned? The father of all the children of Eber. And the significance of that name is it's believed that that is where the word Hebrew comes from. That out of Eber, Eber is the root of Hebrews. Eber literally means crossing over, and Hebrew means crossing the river. And so that's where it's believed that that terminology is coming from. When they called them the Hebrews, they were not calling them the Israelites until Jacob has a covenant with God, and God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. But before that, they were called the Hebrews because they were recognized as the sons of Eber, which would have been the son of Shem. So that was signifying the branch that they came out of after the flood. Okay, let's read on quickly. The children of Shem, yes. Elam, yes. and Asher, and Arphaxad, yes. and Lud, and Aram, yes. the children of Aram, mm -hmm. Uz, and mm -hmm. Hul, and Gether, and Mash, and Arphaxad begat Salah, and Salah begat Eber. Yes. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for yes. in his days was the earth divided. Yes. And his brother's name was Joktan. Okay, so here we have a highlight significance. In his days was the earth divided. And there's a stronger word, split, that the Hebrews would probably would, would see that as split. There was, a, there was a breaking. There was a splitting. There was a significant thing here. Now, in the context of which this is giving, it's setting up chapter 11, where it's the Tower of Babel. So we have here, we know Nimrod is the founder of Babel. We see all this rebellion. And then in Peleg, this is when the earth was split. The earth was divided. So there's a division, a split that comes, we can assume, because in chapter 11, and this is the rabbinical tradition, always uh, uh, ascribed this to being when the earth was divided by language. But some would, would say, well, we can't rule out that maybe there was a significant actual splitting of the earth. Who knows how all of that uh, happened? Uh, I know Pangea is a theory that, that some are postulating the separating of the continents. And, and if you put all the continents together, they sort of fit together as a puzzle piece. 
I think to do that in some models, you've got to shrink Africa quite significantly to make that work. So who knows? But understood, the rabbinical tradition would understood what this is alluding to is actually the vision of languages. So it's trying maybe set here that when, when Peleg was born is when the Tower of Babel actually takes place. I think Usher in his chronological timeline puts it a little bit earlier than that and would go a different route. Our facts add is significant because he was born, uh, and that was in verse 22, he was born two years after the flood, and his lifespan basically is the recovery period. Drastic uh, ecological changes that are taking place after worldwide devastation flood. So that would have been an interesting lifetime to span there to see. And uh, we read on, and Jochum uh Omadad and Sheflef and Hazar Maveth and Jera. And there's a whole bunch of names that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher here as we read through. In verse 30, And their dwelling was from Misha, as thou goest unto Sefer, a mount of the east. And then read, if you will, verse 31 and 32. These are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. Yes. These are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, in their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. So the big thing that God did not divide them, but when he divided them, he kept the families intact. That's what's implied here, that the families stayed together. Yes, there was division, but the families stayed together. That's significant. That tells us how important God feels about the family. He didn't just go and randomly confound the languages, but even in their rebellion... God kept the families together. Somebody said, praise God. So why is it that there is such an attack today in today's culture against families? Because the spirit of Antichrist is at work to divide things. Family is not a bad word. But our world would pretend and our world would act like it. It would act like it. The families are a bad world. Our culture today, our culture today, specifically we see it illustrated a lot of times in a lot of the education systems where they're doing things or government systems, but they don't want the parents to be in the know. We're doing this without the parents and they're usurping the authority. They want to wipe out the authority of the parents. Some of the reasons why those uh, uh, people come to that conclusion intellectually is because of the breakdown. The parents are so messed up. But even in the rebellion of all of the world, this is incredible rebellion. God still kept the families intact. If you lose the family, you have nothing. And the family's so destructive. That's one thing that was so devastating. One of the devastating things about communism and is, is the, uh, the disruption and the dissolution of any type of of authority in families because communism, when it's played out, the government is the authority telling you what to do and it removes the families. And that's, that is uh, uh, a rejection against the biblical model because who has God delegated authority uh, over every person but the parents? Your parents are delegated authority you as parents are the delegated authority of God over the children. So that's why it was so significant. Honor thy father and mother. And it was the first commandment with promise. Because when you dishonor your father and mother, you are dishonoring the delegated authority that God has put in your life. And ultimately, you're rebelling against God. 
Now, there were provisions for what happened when the mom and the dad were uh, delinquent and disobedient against God, but the word honor was still there. Obey. Paul says, children, obey your parents. Nobody's going to help me preach on Wednesday night. Bless God. (laughs) Obey your parents. Why? This is right. This is right in the Lord. Obey your parents. Submit to the authority. We We live in a day and age. Don't tell me what to do. It's my right. It's my freedom. It's my privilege. You can't tell me what to do. Nobody wants. No, that's not what God says. He said, no, you got to listen. You got to listen to authority. And if you don't obey authority, it's going to be, it's going to be bad in your life. But if you will obey and submit to authority and honor your parents, he said, you'll have a long life. God says, I'm going to bless you. There's a blessing in this life that comes. Now, that doesn't mean that there's exceptions and things that, so that means if somebody, some tragic accident happens, you don't all say, aha, well, they weren't obeying their parents. They weren't honoring their parents. No, I've seen I've seen people who dishonor their parents live an awful long time, and I've seen people who honor their parents die prematurely. But as a generality, amen, there's a blessing that comes in life. Amen? Amen. The quicker you can learn. I don't know why I'm pausing here, but the quicker that our children can learn. Maybe I should pause here. The quicker our children learn to honor their parents, you are helping them out in life. Parents, let me strengthen, strengthen you in the Lord. It's okay to correct your children, to teach your children, and and to uh, your children. It's okay for your children not to always be happy with you all the time, but for you to do the right thing. Because if you always give them candy and sugarcoat everything and never, ever make them pay any penalties, experience any discipline, experience no, ever have authority, they're going to live a hard, hard life out there in the world. And you're not helping them. But you're teaching them, hey, something, sometimes you don't get everything you want. I know some adults who probably didn't get that lesson when they were young. But man, it helps you out when you learn it early on. I don't get everything I want, but that's okay. I'm walking according to God, and if I walk with Him, there's going to be a blessing in my life that's going to come, come soon enough. Amen, amen, amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. All right, so God kept the families intact. That's a powerful little highlight there. And I've got, a le- I've got, I've got 15 minutes to go through chapter 11. Praise God. Whew. All right, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Okay, you know what that means? That means the whole earth was of one language and one speech. <laughs> I don't know why people have a difficult time when they come to this verse. And they try to say, well, you know, it doesn't really mean what it says it does. Either the Word of God is true or the Word of God is not true. Not only was it of one language, it was of one speech. What's that mean? That means one dialect. I'm going to tell you, I've been to places where they speak English and I could not understand them. (laughs) You get lost in the remote parts of Louisiana (laughs) or Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And you're thinking, man... These people have such a thick Norwegian accent or something here. I don't, we're not talking the same language here. I cannot understand them. What this is saying, what, he's in, what is being told to us here is that there wasn't even dialects when this takes place. They understood one another. Brother Burns, we were talking about how, how well you know Spanish. Nobody would know that. I'm giving away your secret here. But that you don't even have an accent, that you could just... When it comes out, because that was that was your first 
language when you grew, grew up. You don't even have an accent. Imagine a world where nobody has an accent and everybody understands everything. Go on, read. And it came to pass as yes. they journeyed from the east. They came from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar. Yes. And they dwelt there. And they dwelt there. Now, there's a little bit of significance there, and they dwelt there. Now, you have to live somewhere, but the point is, is that they are settling after there's been given a command to divide and go forth and multiply and spread. So they're not just... Okay, I'm having a house. You go find your own house. No, they're dwelling there. So what we are seeing here in the new world is the first establishing of a city, of a metropolitan area. We refuse to go out, and we're consolidating. We're coming together. Okay, go on. And they said one to the other. Yes. To another, go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. Yes. And they said, go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Yes. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Okay, so let's pause here and look. The two verses we just read says, go to let us make. Go to let us build. Okay, this is contrast from Genesis chapter 1, where the Lord and God said, let us make man in his own image. They are usurping God's creative ability and say, we're going to do our own thing. Let us. And we see the process. They came up with the technology, and then once they established the technology, they then consolidated and conspired to build something that would outlast God's judgments. So we see this, brick and mortar. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. They were determined. Now, this tells us that wherever they were living, there was not stone available, and they come up with the ability to make brick, and perhaps, you know, all the technologies that were before the flood were not necessarily lost on the flood because Noah and his three sons and all their wives, they would have come, and they could have brought even manuscripts that taught them how to do things. They would have known things. They had technologies. They, they were innovative. And so here they are building a city, a dwelling, and now specifically they said, let us make a tower. And that term tower is probably uh, not the right term for us in our modern understanding, but most likely what we presume this would have been would have been a ziggurat temple that was very common in those Semitic lands and places there in uh, Babel. And the, it literally, it's not a tower, but it literally is like a, a pyramid type uh, whatever or construction that just this massive thing that keeps going up. Literally, a ziggurat is a stairway to heaven. And they are building this, and at the top, they, would, they were astrologers, and they would worship the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, their supposed deities in the heavens, and they are building this. Why would they be building this? And, and, and some have supposed that they were building this, Brother Blake, to outlast the flood in case God ever sends another flood. They are going to be able to outsmart God because, aha, we've built a place high enough that we could outlast the flood. This is a city steeped in rebellion, absolute rebellion against God. They're saying, we're going to be like God. We're going to do our own thing. We're not going to obey God. We're going to dwell here. We're going to build a city. And look at what it says here. 
Go on and read the next verse here, next two verses. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which yes. the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, that they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Okay, so first of all, it says the Lord came down. We know that God is omnipresent. We understand. But uh, uh, the Bible speaks to us in human terms. And so either it's speaking to us to understand that God's intentional uh, uh, attention was placed upon this specific event and an episode that's taking place, or perhaps... God manifests as a theophany. We see no further uh, 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 evidence of this, but God comes down in that sense. But whatever, the point is that God's attention is focused, and he says the people is one, they have one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them. There is something about the unity, the collaboration of humanity in its evil that when we pool our resources, it is amazing, astonishing what can be accomplished. And even today, even today, what's the greatest, what's, what's some of the greatest things we have today? One of the greatest technologies that we have today that everybody speaks about? The internet, the internet, right? The greatest technology, no other time in history. It's, it's put us in a place unlike any other time in history. Even the Assyrians tried to go around to every culture throughout the entire world, and the Assyrians tried to record everything from every other culture around the world, and they brought it back. We still have not decoded everything and read everything in the archaeological finds that the Assyrians amassed together. They were trying to have everything. They wanted to be able to have the resource for every knowledge throughout all the world. And now we have that at the internet. And, and, and the, the smart people, people way smarter than me, but I do read their books. And sometimes I get a few little things out of it. I can get a few things out of it. And they tell me that all of the internet that we know, all the .coms and the .orgs and the .edus and all the things, all of the internet that we use, all the public internet of all the nations around the world, all the peoples, all the websites, all the stuff that we use would just amount for probably less than 1% of what is actually out there on the internet and that everything else, brothers are reading, you're well more versed in all this, everything else is in the deep, dark web that is totally unregulated, and there's unknown tolls, crimes, and evils that are accounted for, that are existing out there. And literally, secretly, while you're watching all the news media and all that stuff, that's old news and all this, uh, that's, that's uh, 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 screens and mirrors and smoke to divert attentions, but the governments behind the world are saying this is a problem and we don't know how to handle it because there's crimes. We don't know how to even stop it. And the black markets and all those things that exist on the Internet today, this is what they're telling us. They're saying this stuff is all this stuff that's going on, all of that evil. Why? Because now the Internet has been able to to uh, bypass the, the, the geological issue, and it's been able to bypass the language issue because now we can, we can translate everything. We can communicate with people who we have no clue how to communicate and talk with in person, but digitally now we can pull all of these resources together. And at this time, God is acknowledging how much is happening, and God says, I am going to slow their progress. Go down in verse number 7, and now read verse 7. 
Go to, yes. let, let us go down. Yes. And there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Yes. So God says, I am going to delay their progress. And what I'm going to be able, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break off communication. And when I break communication, I break resources, I break relationships, I break the ability to work together, I destroy unities when I break communication. And so God comes down, and what this text is telling us is from them. Go in verse 8. So, verse the, eight. so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Yes. And so here we see, not only does God confound their language, but he scatters them abroad upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. They walked away. They left. So this is not, so here we know, this is not just another ziggurat temple, because those ziggurat temples were built. But what they were trying to do, perhaps in the form of that, maybe the ziggurat temples that we actually see today and have They've dug up, the largest of which I believe is in, uh, the largest of which is in uh, uh, the city of Ur, uh, Ur of the Chaldeans. But maybe those are just little works that they were amassing to do, and what they were set about to do was to build a massive, massive, massive structure. And they left, they stopped, they walk away and they forsake that. This work was so much so much rebellion that God confounds the language. God stopped it. What had God done previously? Previously, God had sent a flood to destroy them and wipe them out. But here, God says, I'm going to slow everything way down. And I'm going to confound their languages. And I'm going to force them to spread about and to scatter abroad. And go on and read verse 9. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. Yes. From thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Okay, so therefore is the name called Babel. And there's a lot of conjecture. Babel mean confusion. Babel is the root word uh, uh, for what we use in our modern term, baby, because a baby speaks, you know, Babel's about. We use that terminology. But here's what that means, that confusion. And this begins... Uh, uh, the, uh, that area, though, would, would, would later lead to Babylon. But the Lord confounded the language. So the sin, the rebellion was so absolute that God says, I'm going to break this up, and I'm going to destroy this. And I'm going to tell you, God, don't ever worry about how bad the world's getting because God, in a moment, God has a way to mess things up. Do we have that slide of that map, Caitlin? I don't know if she's got that. Okay, we can put that map up here. I want to just give you a little picture. This is a picture out of uh, one of my study Bibles. I believe I, this is from the MacArthur Study Bible, and you can find others. But a lot of those names that we read in chapter 10, actually this is where, and you can't see the color coding as well, but down on the right, the bottom, you see Javan, Put, and Lud as the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And uh, you can sort of see how they spread out. Most of those along the the north and the northwest are of the descendants of Javan um, or Ion, which would later become the Greeks. And then you have uh, Ham's descendants uh, 
uh, are, and, and Shem's descendants are sort of scattered there in the middle. But what is told is that from them, all the peoples of the world come from. So that, that's pretty significant. They would have understood that when they were reading this passage or hearing this passage spoken about. They would have understood uh, a lot of where all that spreads. So this is a significant thing. So your Bible is not just giving a history of the world, where it came from. It's also giving a history of peoples and cultures. So this book is boldly stepping out and telling all humanity, this is where you came from. This is how it all happened. This is how you got here. So be careful when you side with, with secular ideas that come from a paradigm that do not acknowledge God or His Word, be careful when you compromise and, and make, uh, 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 let's say, uh, 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 I, don't, I don't know, affirmations on, well, maybe this didn't happen and all that stuff. Be careful that you're not standing in direct contrast according to the Word of God. Because God's word is absolute. Now, I'm not smart enough to argue with every archaeologist, every historian, every biologist, every, hist- uh, uh, every scientist, and all those things, every astrologer. I'm not smart enough to argue. And I'm acknowledging that my ignorance is, 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 is large in a lot of those areas. Even in my human attempts and endeavors to try to understand them, I don't know very much. I can't wade out into the deep end. I'm very, very shallow in all of those things. But one thing that has proven to me over and over and over again to be true is the Word of God. And so while I may not understand it how and why and have to put all the pieces together, one thing is true is I can trust the Word of God. And I can stand on the Word of God. And so that doesn't do any discredit because actually science and archaeology, and biology, and astrology all testify that what the Bible is saying is true when you look at each of those individual schools of thought through the paradigm of God being a creator, it all makes sense. And you've heard me highlight, I highlighted it before, the video um, is Genesis History, is so exceptional at putting that together. Maybe we'll do a showing time here sometime, and I'll invite you all to come and uh, watch that with me. It's about an hour and 45 minutes long, and it's an incredible, incredible thing. Okay, there's the bell, and it happened, and we did not get through everything that we needed to get through. So next week, I will come back, and we will finish up. We just got a few verses. We'll wrap up. And then I want to open this up for question. We'll wrap up and we'll summarize. And I want to open this up for questioning. By the way, another little thing to put in your notes is this, that historical, historical linguists acknowledge that language, human language today is devolving. What does it mean by devolving? It means it's getting dumber and dumber and dumber yeah. in the modern term. Language is being dumbed down. Just go to a dictionary 200 years ago, an English dictionary 200 years ago, and look at how many words we've lost in circulation. And so it is, being, we are, we are, it is dumbing down. What, what happens? Well, you go back thousands of years. Language thousands of years ago was, is much more complex than our languages today that are devolving. And that is problematic for evolution. Because evolution teaches that man's getting bigger and better and smarter and greater. 
But the Bible tells us, no, man actually is getting dumber and sicker and, and all these things are dwindling down. And so just because we have the internet and now we have access to pool resources all over the world does not mean that man himself is actually greater and smarter than he's ever been before. No, we're not because we can't even count our change, which we don't even use change anymore. We can't even count our change in the line of Walmart. Nobody's going to help me preach. Stand together, would you? Amen. Amen. So the Bible is making a very bold proclamation. This is where it all came about. This is where it's led up to. Why is this important? Because it's important where it's going. Yes. Yeah. What is God trying to do? What is this whole, whole book telling us? What is this sacred book telling us? Well, it's telling us that God through one person eventually... It would come down to one person, Abraham, would choose Abraham to try to redeem all the rest. Why? Because even the righteous man Noah comes out of the flood and gets drunk. And we don't get very far and all of a sudden humanity is defying against God. Did you not learn your lesson? Noah was still alive when the Tower of Babel took place. Noah was still alive when all those things happened. Did you not learn your lesson? Did we not figure it out? Ham was still alive. And yet it's his great-grandson that's running out there saying, we're going to defy God. We're going to defy God. If anything, we look through Scripture, we see God is patient and God is long-suffering because God could have wiped us out a long time ago. But God has chosen that's why we didn't come to bring condemnation. We, we came to bring, amen. He didn't, he didn't come that the world would be condemned, but he came that the world might be saved. Why is God waiting? He's not waiting for the right moment to zap everybody dead. No, he's waiting, waiting so that all would have a chance to come to everlasting life. What was the thing he said that would have to happen before he would come back again? That the gospel would be preached throughout all of the world. God says, I'm not going to come back and wrap this thing up. I'm not going to leave. Even, even after, he, after he sent everybody out and dispersed them, he said, I'm not just going to show my miracles to Abraham and not give every single living person on this earth a chance to come back to the Lord, to turn back to God. Amen. So that tells me today that I've got a hope that I've got a chance. So what must we be about? We must be about the Father's business. We've got to be about the Father's business. That's what this is all about. That's why we're doing our series, Easter to Pentecost. And after next week, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to open this up for question. And then we're going to enter into a season where we're going to turn Wednesday nights into just church. And I know we, I love Bible study. We've got to have Bible study. We've got to have teaching. But I feel like there's an urgency in this time right now. And we need the Holy Ghost to move on Wednesday nights. I thank God for His Word. We, we love the Word of God, but we're going to take a pause. We've learned the Word of God. We studied the Word, but now we need to exercise the Spirit of God. We need to exercise these things that we know. We're going to have some of our ministers preach, and we're just going to believe God for Spirit leading, that the Holy Ghost could have His way. Amen. Would you join with me right now? Lift your voice and thank God for His Word. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, God, for Your Word. 
that brings us hope, that brings us life. Thank you for your spirit that breathes life into dead situations. I thank you for every testimony and every witness that's in this house tonight. I thank you for every blessing, God, that's here tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that we would not stand, Lord, on the wrong side of your blessing and covenant, that we would not rebel, that we would not kick, God, that we would willingly submit and come running to you with open hands. I pray that we would not stand in the way of any other God, but that we would be used as a conduit, Lord. Let us be like the seeds of Abraham, God, giving blessing, bringing blessing to everyone in this world. Let us reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of salvation. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would continue to send a harvest. God, fill this church house to overflowing. God, stir the waters of baptism. Fill these altars, God, with repentance and let the power of the Holy Ghost be poured out. God, let people receive it in the altar. Let them receive it in the pew. Let them receive it in the parking lot. Let them receive it in their homes, God. Let the Holy Ghost fall. God, let your Pentecostal blessing come. In the name of Jesus Christ. And the church said amen. amen. And the church said amen. amen. In Jesus' name, clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And what God confounded at Babel and rebellion, God unified at Pentecost in submission and obedience. And in that one day, that one act, he brought together every tribe, every tongue, every nation through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why I believe in the Holy Ghost. Folks, we can't, church, we cannot lose the Holy Ghost. It's the unifier of all men. And if we lose the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we're going to fall back into our little divisions and it's going to be our little clans and our little group. But when the Holy Ghost comes, it breaks out. You can't contain the Holy Ghost. It breaks out upon the rich, upon the poor, upon the educated and uneducated and every nationality and every ethnicity. I'm telling you, God's getting ready. He's already pouring out revival, but God's getting ready to do great things among us. Amen. We're going to be telling you about that in the weeks and months and, and days to come. Amen. Sister Dawn's not here tonight, but she's been interceding. And God has given her, Sister Dawn, God's given her visions. He's spoken things into my heart years in the making. This has been years in the making and then revived in the last few years just in things. And we are seeing God bring answers to prayers that have been prayed. That's why I told you Sunday, pray big prayers. Somebody needs to pray big prayers. Somebody needs to start claiming the empty pews that are next to you and start seeing who God wants to fill. Amen. Come on, start seeing that. I'm, I'm speaking faith here tonight. Some of you need to start claiming and say, this is going to be for my lost children. This is going to be for my lost neighbor. You need to let the Holy Ghost lead you. I'm feeling the Holy Ghost here tonight. Amen, amen, amen. I, I've, I've preached long enough. Thank you for letting me teach you tonight. Thank you for letting me walk you through this passage. Do you love the word? God bless you. Thank you for joining us. We're praying for those that are sick. Amen. We'll see you Sunday. Let's come ready to have church and revival again this Sunday. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.